Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe every professional minion, pioneer of superhero medicine, swear jar, and bulletproof black man are important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant a story may seem. I'm Mandy. And I'm Michael. And today we're talking about Luke Cage. Hooray. The Netflix series. Yeah. Uh, not the general superhero, because I don't know nearly enough about him. Uh, I know very little, and most of it's informed by the Ultimate Spider-Man television show, where he's like, you know, 16, so... Uh, the extent of my knowledge really comes from uh, just recently I read Pul- The Pulse, which is a Jessica Jones following uh, mm. storyline. It's not very long, and Luke is a very he's – a, he's a minor side character in it, basically. I've been reading Power Man and Iron Fist, where Luke Cage is a primary character, but due to the Civil War II storyline, uh, we get some weird stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So uh, going into this, I mean, recently we put out an episode about Marvel TV, and so we did talk about kind of what we were looking forward to, and then uh, and that was recorded right before this released. So yeah, I guess we can uh, jump more or less right into the beginning of the series, um, unless you want to start us off with something else. Well, I guess, as everyone knows, Luke Cage was introduced in uh, Jessica Jones first, uh, which I have feelings about, <laughs> and uh <laughs> Now uh, he has his own show, which uh, takes place not in Hell's Kitchen, which is where every other, literally every, not even every other, every Netflix show up to this point has taken place. Um, He is in Harlem. Well, to be clear, every Netflix Marvel show, there are plenty of Marvel (laughs) shows or Netflix shows that don't take place in Hell's Kitchen. Sure, (laughs) You know, Stranger Things takes place like in suburbia. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually... People don't really know this, but if you look deeply, it turns out all of House of Cards takes place in Hell's Kitchen. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually kind of want to see that alternate universe. But <laughs> I want to see Stranger, Stranger Things in Hell's Kitchen. And, uh, you know, it would be interesting. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Luke Cage, um, we kind of knew from Jessica Jones that he is the kind of person who has to get paid under the table. But I don't know they said exactly that he was um, uh, ex-con or uh, I, I, don't, I, I really don't think it, they did because that came as a surprise to me. Um, I feel like it came as a surprise to me. I mean, obviously, we knew that he was paid under the table, but we really didn't know why. And he seems like a great guy. So. Yeah. So in Luke Cage, when it opens, he's continuing his being paid under the tableness, which means he's working some some not so glamorous jobs. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and it's actually highlighted pretty darn quickly in the first episode, which is the only episode I've seen multiple times uh, because there's a point where pop who we will talk plenty about uh, actually says like, you know, if you'd let me, if I didn't have to pay you in cash, I could pay you a lot more. And, mm-hmm. and looks like, Nope, it's gotta be this way. Yeah. So he, he works uh, at pops just sweeping. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe doing some other cleaning, but he's not a barber, so he's not, like, touching people's heads. Um, and uh, then he's uh, working as a dishwasher at a nightclub called Harlem's Paradise. Yep. Uh, and that's pretty much the extent of it early on. We, I mean, you get some of the – pretty early on, you get some of the community in the, uh, in the barbershop. Um, kind of seems like a – I mean, you get immediately you're introduced to pop as sort of this elderly figure who is clearly trying to have a positive impact on those around him. Mm -hmm. Um, And just some kind of light 
uh, conversational sparring in the place, which is pretty nice. Um, yeah, and Pop has a. Uh, there is another barber who does work there, who is a young man, uh, uh, whose name is uh, Chico. I'm, I'm yes, pretty sure Chico. that's Chico. Um, yeah, that's Chico. Uh, he also has another friend who works there. Uh, maybe he doesn't work there. He's just hanging out there. Yeah, he's just hanging out. He doesn't work because uh, Luke is giving him a, a hard time about never, never working for anything. <laughs> um, they actually have an entire conversation about the guys. Like, oh yeah, well, uh, it, you know. I'll show you work. And he points to a poster on the table that apparently is like a newspaper clipping where he was written up for basketball skills. And Luke's like, oh, yeah, well, did anything come of it? Apparently nothing did. And uh, and the guy goes like, you know what? I'm sick of your whatever. And then Luke's like, what? And Luke is about three times his size. And so he backs down. Uh, yeah. Luke Cage fun. is a pretty big guy. Uh, he gets uh, out of a lot, I feel like, with just physical intimidation sometimes, just being like, I'm like five times your size. What are yeah. you going to do about it? And that's even with people not knowing about his powers. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, there's also two other people who are pretty much a fixture at the barbershop. Um, and that's uh, Bobby Fisher, who is not the Bobby Fisher. Right. <laughs> but a Bobby Fisher, who happens to enjoy playing chess. And then... Um, I can never remember his name, and it took me Turk. half the show to realize this. Turk, but he's from Daredevil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the uh, Turk Barrett is his name. He's the uh, guy who in Daredevil was, uh, you know, dealing weapons and stuff like that. And Daredevil gets him several times. Yeah. So. Uh, <sighs> yeah. So it's a pretty interesting scene there. Clearly, like you know, a neighborhood where things matter. You you get. It's clear that Pop wants to keep the kids out of trouble um, and that this is kind of a sort of a, a center for the community that's a bit calmer than potentially other areas. Um, and it's really significant um, that the the barbershop is sort of its own character in this. It's, it's almost like a serenity to the show Firefly and that it kind of you keep coming back to it and it covers a lot of the I think a lot of the changes over the course of the, the show's season really affect kind of are really reflected by the state of the barbershop. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. Do you want to, I mean, I guess we could go ahead and start talking really about the plot events of episode one. If you. Yeah. Well, Harlem's paradise, which we didn't really talk about too much is, um, owned by a crime boss, uh, whose name is Cornell, <laughs> which I think is an interesting name. Uh, Cornell Cottonmouth Stokes. Yes. But he doesn't like being called Cottonmouth. But everybody else calls it calls him that anyways. So. Yes. Uh, and uh, he he has a legitimate business, which is his nightclub that he's really invested in. Uh, but he's also running this like, you know, basically uh, mafia on the side. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, he has this kind of his own group of people who are associated with the nightclub. Um, and uh, it's... um. A couple of minions, uh, and uh, Luke Cage works there. Um, As a dishwasher. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but at the first episode, he ends up at the bar uh, covering for someone. And uh, yeah, uh, there's a girl who works the bar whose name I can't remember. Um, yeah, I can't remember her name either. She's important. She- <laughs> yes. Um, she's not so much working the bar, I guess, as she is... Uh, a waitress? Uh, or yeah, I think she's a waitress. She's taking drinks to people from the bar. Yeah. 
So she has to take drinks up to where Cottonmouth is, and she doesn't want to go by herself uh, because they scare her um, because they're not very nice to women all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so she makes Luke Cage go up with her. And what's interesting is when Luke is up there, uh, Cottonmouth offers him a job uh, basically being a criminal in the mafia because uh, yeah. Luke Cage is a huge guy, right? And you look at a guy like that and you're cotton mouth and you're like, oh, yeah, you come work for me, you know, beating up guys for a living. And, of course, Luke turns him down because he's a good person. Um, but I'm pretty sure this is where we're also introduced to Shades. Yes. Um, yeah. Candace is the girl's name. Just Candace. popped into my head. So. Yes. Um, but, yeah, we are introduced to Shades here. He uh, And it's interesting because the tone that he's immediately – introduced with is like, you know, clearly Cottonmouth knows who he is, but he's not working for Cottonmouth. Like he's coming from somebody else who has leverage on Cottonmouth. So I really like Shades (laughs) because I am partial to, you know, minions. Um, (laughs) And Shades reminded me a lot of Wesley. Um, He's, he's kind of like the street level Wesley who worked his way up. Wesley being the Wesley and Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I imagine Wesley and Daredevil came from like, you know, he went to college and then got like wrapped up in all this stuff. Like Shades, you know, kind of worked himself up to being like this uh, uh, right hand man, right? To yeah. uh, a, a big uh, uh, gun dealer. Um, yeah. And we do hear the name Diamondback, I think, pretty early. Right. I And we don't know anything about him other than he seems to be Cottonmouth's gun dealer because there's some gun deal about to go down Yeah, that they got the guns from Diamondback and that's why Shades is there. Yeah. Um, well, and it, he doesn't, he come in after the deal goes awry? Ah, probably. Yes. That seems yeah. right. So, so as it turns out, uh, Luke is covering for Dante, who is one, who is a kid who is friends with the uh, the other two kids uh, that were with them in uh, that were with him in the barbershop, right? Yeah, Chico and uh, whatever the other kid's name is. Yeah. Uh, so the three of them go. They do a job, an inside job, because Dante has information on Cottonmouth deals since he works for him as a bartender, mm-hmm. and uh, every, that goes awry. Those three kids are. It's a mess. Uh, we don't need to go into all the details, but like one of them's killed. Everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. The, the NYPD is trying to figure out what's going on. Cottonmouth's trying to figure out what's going on. The other end of the Cottonmouth deal um, is trying to, f- the guy he was dealing with, like they, he thinks that he was betrayed by Cottonmouth and he clearly wasn't. Uh, and it's a mess that Diamondback wants to get back on the rails because Diamondback was the supplier of the weapons. Right. And this is the inciting incident of the whole show. Yes. Right. Because this is what brings Shades in and Diamondback, because it was their weapons that now the cops have. Uh, this is what bring the cops in, right? Because uh, these people were just murdered. You know, mm-hmm. sure, it was a deal gone down, but now there's all these dead bodies, right? Yep. Um, this is what brings Pop in, because Chico worked for Pop. And Chico owed, or Pop owed Chico's father, right? Or Pop felt like he did. So he was looking after Chico, and now Chico is missing. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, Cottonmouth wants all his guns back yeah. and, uh, or his money. And he wants, he wants this all to be settled. And this brings in, um, the, uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, the Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican, um, yeah. Rican? Uh, um, yeah, they were the Puerto Ricans. I'm trying to, uh, shoot. 
what are they? I can't think. It'll come to me in a minute, I'm sure, while we're talking. But uh, yeah, he's the one who also owns a boxing ring and all that. Right, Uh, because he was buying the guns from Cottonmouth. Domingo. Oh, he's not Puerto Rican. He's Mexican, according to Wikipedia. My apologies. So Puerto Ricans come up several times, though, in the... I guess well, that's later when they have everyone like in that big meeting later, right? Um, But uh, basically, this is what causes everything to happen Mm -hmm. because Uh, Luke has been on the down low. Yeah, and it is actually also what Luke is involved basically just because he likes Pop and Pop guilts him into doing it. Yeah, well, and he's and it's coincidence that puts him in both locations because that's where he can find jobs in Harlem where he's paid under the table. Right. Cause the know? only people willing to pay him under the table are semi shady businesses. Not that pop is shady, but he has well, shady a businesses and family. Right. Pop, pop and he have a family history. Um, Ish. Oh, which, which is another qu- connection because pop's daughter is the girl that Luke cage, uh, that we find out in, you know, a previous show that Luke cage was really connected to. So, and Jessica Jones. So yes, Reed. his romantic interest. Reva, that's right. So all that to be like, yeah, as you said, the first episode just kind of kicks everything into motion. People start getting the wrong ideas. Misty, Misty Knight, uh, Detective Misty Knight, she she was actually at the bar scouting out just Cottonmouth and uh, Mariah Dillard, the council. And then she left the bar and had coffee and had coffee with Luke Cage. Yes. (laughs) Um, And because he's linked to both locations, he's immediately a suspect you know, which, and it turns out he was just in those two locations because of coincidence. Like he really did have nothing to do with it. And it's it's really interesting. Like, you know, Luke and Misty sleep to get sleep together in this first episode. And it's because of that, that I swear Misty is way more suspicious of Luke than she should be. Cause she feel like she feels like maybe she misjudged him and she slept with someone she shouldn't have. Yeah. Uh, she feels and- betrayed wrongly, wrongfully shows. She's like, she's wrong to feel betrayed, but she does feel betrayed. And that, seems to cloud her judgment a lot. It, yeah, it clouds her judgment a lot and propels a lot of things that otherwise you're like, what are you doing? You know Luke mm-hmm. is good. Um, but yeah, basically we also learn, and this is kind of going into the second episode, a lot happens, but in the first two episodes, that Pops, uh, a barbershop, is kind of viewed as um, uh, a peace zone. Yeah. Right? No- nothing bad goes down in Pops' barbershop. Uh, cause you know, he doesn't take sides. He, j- he just wants a safe place for people. Um, and, uh, so pop wants Luke to go get Chico, bring him back to their little, you know, Casablanca in the middle of, uh, this <laughs> Harlem war zone and, uh, then arrange a deal with, uh, with a cotton mouth and Luke goes to do this. And it seems like it's going to go fine, but then Turk, tips off Chico's location and uh, one of Pop's under, not Pop, one of Cottonmouth's underlings decides to take it upon himself to go get Chico. Which is a huge theme to the entire show, right? So much happens because someone who is trying to prove themselves does something they shouldn't. And it just, and things go off the rails. Because Um, everyone wants to be shades and they can't be. Exactly. Um, because none of them is the smartest shades. <laughs> I, I feel like that's the central thing is he kind of knows when to step back. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. In it, this, it's, it's actually pretty brutal. Uh, we're pretty clear, quickly taught how brutal Cottonmouth is. I mean, he beats one of the boys to death with his hands, 
with his bare hands. Um, and that's before, so there's no real reason for us to believe he's actually going to allow for a an actual parlay at Pop's place. Right. Except that we're actually taught that, you know what, he will do it because he really does respect Pop. Well, as at this weird point, as it is. we don't really understand the history with uh Pop and Cottonmouth. I think it's explained in this episode um, because there's that picture. Um, but essentially, Pop was uh, it could have been Cottonmouth. Yeah. You know, he he was a low level uh, thug that Cottonmouth followed around, um, yeah. and Chico's father. But then he got you know uh, put in jail for something minor ish. You know, not like running a mafia. Um, and uh, wanted to go straight. So when he came out, he founded the barbershop. And because of that, that's why uh, Cottonmouth respects him, because they have this history. And yeah. Cottonmouth would never do anything to hurt Pop, because I think, you know, you see this in both Cottonmouth and Mariah, right? Even even though they have this dark side, even though they're doing bad things, they think what they're doing is the best thing for Harlem. Mm-hmm. And they know Pop is good for Harlem. And they would never hurt that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's actually it's really interesting too. In that um, the way that Pop talks about it is he does not attribute his going straight to just himself, which is why he does what he does. He attributes it to other people who gave him a chance when he didn't feel like he deserved it, and so he'll continue to give other kids a chance and continue to try and make it so that they have an environment in which, if they make the decision, they can go straight, so that they don't feel like they have to. You know, like they had cry. no other choice, right? right. Um, and uh, and that is, it's basically a, a difference. Whereas he believes that you can go straight, and that's le- a legitimate option. And Cottonmouth doesn't believe that that is a a really v- a viable option, right? Cottonmouth believes Pop's a little naive about this, but he's also willing to protect that naivety, right? Yeah. Um, because I don't think he would refu- refuse that their environment that Harlem sort of needs that hope to some degree or another. Right. But uh, not all of Cottonmouth's minions are on the same page. Right. So Tone is the guy who goes in and kind of, and shoots up the place, um, killing Pop as well as, uh, is Chico killed then? Yes. Chico is killed. No, no. Chico is shot. Chico is not killed. That's yeah, that's right, right. Because he comes in important later. Um, there's um, also a kid who's in the barbershop, but Luke Cage shields him. Right. And of um, course, Luke Cage is bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And that was a very neat scene because at this point, no one knows about his powers except for Pop. And that is, again, it's a central thing. Pop knew about his powers and kept telling him he should be using it. And so when Pop dies, Luke decides it's time to do something. But, um, but before people know about it, he can, you know, Protect, he can play dead while shielding somebody from bullets, and people will assume that he and the person under him are dead. Right. He tells the kid to play dead, right? Yes. He's like, play dead. And they do that, and uh, yeah, Tone assumes everyone is dead, right? He doesn't go in and double-tap Chico, which is stupid. Uh, if you're going to shoot up a place, and you're a villain, like, really? But yeah. they hear sirens, so they leave. Uh, Shades is with him, but Shades does not participate, right? Shades is almost there like a witness, I feel like. Like, yeah. following Tone just to see what happens. But he doesn't participate. He doesn't stop him, though he does tell him he doesn't think this is a good idea. This is not what uh, Cottonmouth wanted. Um, and then they, they leave um, and uh, uh, go back to Cottonmouth. And Tone, I guess his name is? I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, 
goes and is like super proud of kind of what he did and um uh cottonmouth kills him uh, this actually the way that you describe that is actually a thing where it's not that shades didn't try to stop him is that shades knows what is effective and what isn't and in this case there wasn't really like he will use words to stop someone and he will try and persuade them into seeing what wisdom is and if somebody is beyond it there's not really much he can do you right. know uh, i mean he definitely said something and i don't think that was just a just so that he could say he said so. I mean, I, yeah, I feel like he was pretty sincere in it, but he also knew there's no way Tone's going to listen to me. And I'm not going to get into a, a physical fight with this guy who's just going nuts. Um, you know, it's his own it's his own place to kind of screw things up. Because um, I think, again, that, that plays into things later on, where whenever he is affecting things drastically, it's always through a sort of subtle, gentle manipulation where he'll talk to somebody, he'll persuade them, but he's not really forceful unless kind of his own life is at risk. Um, I I don't think Shades wanted this to happen though. Oh no, no. That's I'm saying he he was genuine and that he didn't want it to happen. Right. Like I, I he was he would have if he had a way to he would have persuaded Tone afterwards but uh, out of it. But it's sort of like Tone is is like below the level of intelligence and um nuance required for Shades to be able to be effective. You know, That's fair. whereas if Tone was a smarter person, Tone is Shades a lot would. like Zip. And at yes. this point, I don't know why Cottonmouth keeps these people around. <laughs> uh, other than it, it's kind of like, you know, we, we've talked about before, right? Shades is in some ways like that Slytherin Hufflepuff. And I feel like uh, Zip and Tone are like these very just like Slytherin Slytherin who don't think things through. They're almost like the Slytherin Gryffindor right? They want the power. They want the glory. They're just going to go through with it. And I'm sorry. Yes. Everything comes back to Harry Potter metaphors. And, uh, you know, they, they are reckless. They're reckless for power. Uh, it's the same as, uh, the kid, the kid from the barbershop, not Chico, not Dante, the third one, the third one whose name we cannot remember and whose fault all of this is, um, you know, it's the same. And, and I think that's, a, I, I don't know. And please, you know, listeners forgive us. Like, Neither Mandy nor I are black, and so we don't have certain context in terms of, um, in terms of just what is common in Black American culture. Um, but I think that this is—I don't know if it's playing on stereotypes. I don't know if it's just a, a a product of actual like terrible conditions in you know a neighborhood like Harlem. But it's playing on like, hey, these guys are desperate to prove themselves to kind of because how how bad the situation can be for them. And yeah, they don't think things through, and it's just like that desperation to prove themselves is, it's their primary driving factor in sort of in everything they do. Um, yeah, and and I think it's interesting because I feel like in the Stokes organization, if they knew the history, which like Shades does, right? Right. That kind of behavior is not rewarded. Right. The the reason why Cottonmouth and Mariah are in the position they are is because they basically inherited it from their grandmother who set them up to be in the jobs they're in. Right. Uh, it wasn't Cottonmouth didn't have a coup over his grandmother. Right. And everyone who has tried to s- grab power that wasn't theirs was shut down. Um, but then again, you know, maybe these maybe these other guys don't know that history, you know, Um they're, they are younger than Cottonmouth. I, I don't know how much. They're not like Chico younger, right? Right. Um, but yeah, I and, and, and I think it's, you know, 
I, I think that kind of power that Cottonmouth has does uh, bring those kinds of people to him, right? Opportunists. Sure. And not every opportunist is smart like Shades. Now, as to your question as to why he keeps them around, I mean, they're useful. Because they're the people who will, you know, they're very much the people, if he says to jump, they'll say how high and they'll go do it, you know, um, versus questioning him, which someone like Shades will do and does do. Uh, and, you know, there's a certain degree of him wanting that. So, uh, And we haven't talked about Mariah much, and we should probably mention her. Yes. Um, she <laughs> is Cottonmouth's cousin, and she is a city councilwoman. And she's trying to go straight, legally, Uh uh, but she has lent money to Cottonmouth for this gun deal uh, that he used her money to buy the guns, I think. And then he was going to sell the guns uh, and get more money. Right. Uh, and uh, now everything's gone. And she is very upset because she needs that money. <laughs> she needs and, to repay that money because yes. that was money that basically came in in terms of so loans. The and government so doesn't go after her. Right. They're not like, hey, wh- where's that loan money we gave you? Because yeah. uh, she still wants to she's still trying to pretend that she's legal. Right? right. That she's on the up and up, even though she's secretly housing all of his money in her like, you know, Crispin right. Atticus building. I mean, she's she's helping launder money, basically. Yes. Um. Uh, so, yeah, everyone's dead at the barbershop now. Uh, except Luke and the kid he covered, um, whose mom is like a law student. Uh, and um, uh, when the cops show up, of course, Misty is there. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, of course, she does not believe that all those gunshots just happened to miss Luke Cage. <laughs> I mean, she does actually see the bullet holes in his shirt. And I... She is so smart most of the time, and I don't understand why she didn't make a bigger point of it at the time. Because plot needed stupidity? I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so this is where Luke dis- uh, discovers that Misty is a cop and lied to him about being an auditor. Um, and it's the beginning of neither of them telling each other anything significant. Um, I've, I'm pretty certain that her just apologizing and saying like, hey... We met at at his club. How like, there's no way for me to know whether you were clean or not. Kind of a kind of a thing. I, there are many times in which better communication, as with many stories, could have, <laughs> could have avoided uh, problems in the future. And um, I feel yeah. like uh, we could have. It would have been relatively easy for Luke and Misty to communicate in such a way where they were on the same side the entire time and knew it, rather than being on the same ti- side the entire time and suspecting each other instead. So, yeah, I mean, I get why I get kind of why they distrust each other, but yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, Misty and uh, her partner, Scarf, Scarf. Um, are, are there. And Scarf is one of the most immediately likable characters. <laughs> is he not? Like, I immediately liked him so much. Uh, when uh, I don't when know, he, he, he at first he came across a little just like, you know stereotypical cop um i, I mean it felt I didn't to me dislike like dislike him but i didn't feel like i had a connection to him i liked him because it felt like he was he was supposed to be and did feel like a blend of the stereotypical cop except 
knew that he came across that way and then played it up and then was kind of goofy at times. Like when he and Misty were interacting, clearly they genuinely like each other and it's a really genuine affection for each other, you know? And he's, he was like, his partner is a black woman and he respects the heck out of her, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that came across, I think in their first thing, when uh, they talk about her getting coffee with him and he gives, uh, get, uh, excuse me, her getting coffee with Luke and he gives her a bunch of crap for it. And she like knows that he means it in a playful, friendly way. And they just go back and forth. And um, I, I, that just set me to really like him and therefore to be disappointed later. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about that. We are going to have to talk about that. Um, but we're not there yet. So uh, Stokes, uh, Cottonmouth, he pays for, you know, pays for Pop's funeral because he's got a lot of money. Um, and, you know, Cage finds out, Luke finds out that the, like, he and Bobby Fish end up saving the barbershop because they have to, or wanting to save the barbershop and so on. Uh, and Luke is like, well, there's one place I know I can get money, and this is all Cottonmouth's fault. So he starts attacking all of Cottonmouth's headquarters. And this is actually the beginning of things where you see that Luke is really smart, because um, it's the first time he's really using his powers, and he's using it strategically. He's not just barging in to beat on people. He's actually he's learning information to figure out what Cottonmouth's fallback plans are, right. so that he can force all the money to get placed into one location, and then wreck that. Right. Um, that that's his whole plan is to make yeah. make him go to his backup, uh, which is really smart. And it's you know it, it's the first time we see something like that from Luke. Like it's not like we didn't think he was smart before, but we had we hadn't seen him do anything really strategic or anything. And we start to see that, and it's pretty darn effective, uh, and really uh, shakes things up in Harlem. And it's the first time people start talking about him, about this random dude in uh, in Harlem who's you know fighting crime and so on. Yeah, and um, also Chico is alive. Yeah, uh, he's in the hospital. He gets repaired up, uh, but he doesn't want to talk because he's afraid. And uh, Scarf totally like you know convinces him he needs to talk. And Chico calls him to come pick him up. And well, so there's a step in the middle that I think is important because initially Chico says no, and it's only because he has a talking to by by Luke. Scarf. No, Luke. No, he has a talking to by Luke, who's like. Hey, like I only came after you because Pop told me to, and because sometimes we have the power to do things oh, to prove true. otherwise. Like you know, and it's our job to do it. And Chico basically gives him a bunch of crap, and then watches as Luke actually does. You know, preaches practices what he preaches. You know, he's like, okay, well, if Luke did that, I can too. And so he calls Scarf then, um, and then Scarf kills him, and it's sad. Um, but you kind of see it happening. Uh, there's a scene. It's really effective the way they do it, too. Is Scarf and he are talking, but you know that Scarf never called it in. And then Scarf starts undoing his tie. And you're like, wait a minute. What's happening? Um, I was really upset that Scarf was bad. Yes. Um, and it's not so much that I was attached to Scarf. It's that it feels like an old trope and a weird one to pull out of the corrupt cop. Of course, one of them is corrupt, you know? Uh, which isn't to say that there wouldn't be corrupt cops. It just, I didn't feel like it needed to be one of our main two. At this point, I kind of felt betrayed by the show. Um, and I'll say, so at the time I didn't know what to think. I kind of reserved it, but we'll talk about later that there's a moment that I think pays it off for me, um, at the very end of the show. 
that I think made this worthwhile, um, made it worthwhile to have it be one of our main ones. But, uh, but I think the primary point it's meant to, to serve is to get us to stop trusting the cops. Like Misty is our avatar in the police force. And now she's the only person we trust. Um, yeah, but I, my other beef with it is I feel like they didn't really give a good enough reason why scarf would be bad. Uh, they try later um, to give this reason that scarf's uh, kid died shot with his own gun. Uh, that doesn't give me a reason on why someone would go bad. I mean, he doesn't need the money for his family. He doesn't have a family and he doesn't use the money either. He doesn't use the money. Uh, his kid didn't die because of cops. His kid didn't die because of criminals. His kid just died. Uh, and yes, that could, that would break someone, but I'm not necessarily sure it would break them into corruption. Uh, that, that just seems like there needed to be another factor. Uh, and if there was another factor, I feel like Misty would know about it. Um, so it was, I feel like they just wanted him to be a corrupt and then they didn't really have a reason for it. Yeah. I, I mean, I suspect that they could have come up with a reason like, you know, well, I can't really think of anything, right? They, I think- they could have come up with something. This show, I, I love this show, but there are a couple of characters where the motivations are really off. And there are a couple of characters where the motivations are spot on. Like Cottonmouth and Maria make, make Mariah, I'm sorry, make perfect sense as characters. They right. They're horrifyingly right. Like it, it, they're horrifying, but it may, it does make total sense. Like I completely buy them. But Scarf and then there's a character we'll talk about at the end make no sense. Yeah. I think I know who you're talking about. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, so moving on from that, like accepting that Scarf is bad and so on, um, we find out that he's been talking to, and now actually he feels like he's in a position of power over Cottonmouth. Um, Who does? Scarf? Scarf does. Because, you know, he's done this favor. He kind of knows where things are at. um, And he actually, and he has information on, uh, on Cage as well. You know? Yeah. So it's a really interesting, uh, there are so many moving parts. And at this point, one of the things also that I'd like to highlight is how quickly things, characters come in and out of this series. Like there are only a handful of characters who are in the entire thing. It's what Luke. We'll talk about that even more yeah. w- when we get to episode. Uh, oh, I, I don't remember what it is, but uh, there is an episode where at the end of it, I was just like, oh my gosh, they just went there. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, well, we keep going, and um, Scarf is significant. I'm trying to – there's a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Luke ends up – Cottonmouth wants to kill Luke, and right, they know he's bulletproof. Luke is not hiding his identity, right? right. Like like someone uh, pointed this out on online, that they were like, Daredevil's all like, I have to hide my identity. Right. Jessica Jones is like, I just don't care. And Luke Cage is like – and by the way, my name is Luke Cage. Yeah, his point <laughs> is like, hey, look – this is me taking responsibility for my actions. These are things that need to be done, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and so, yeah. and so Cottonmouth learns really fast that it is Luke. Um, and so what's he going to do? He's going to shoot Luke with a huge missile gun thing. Right. Like a huge I really rocket launcher. don't know guns. I'm sorry. I don't know. It's a rocket launcher, missile, some kind, something like that. Uh, and Luke is actually hanging out with his landlady. 
and uh, he protects her and saves her, and eventually they get out. But um, the whole building collapses on them. Yes, the whole building collapses, and at this point, Cottonmouth assumes he's dead because that's reasonable to assume. Yes. <laughs> um, but this is when we discover Luke's past as dun, dun, dun. as Carl Lucas, and uh, that he was in Seagate Prison. Which is in Savannah, Georgia. It is not in Savannah, Georgia. <laughs> According to the storyline, it is in Savannah, Georgia, which is near me. But clearly from saying, the visuals, we know that's not Savannah, Georgia. There is an episode later where they go to Savannah, Georgia. And did you believe, Michael, that that was Savannah, Georgia? No, not for a moment. It did and not look anything why like Savannah. didn't we believe it was Savannah, Georgia? Hint number one, snow. <laughs> someday, someday, Hollywood would learn that there is no snow. In the South. You can get snow in the South, but it doesn't look like what people think of as snow, and it certainly isn't even. And Savannah is pretty far South. Yes. So. It's, you might as well be in Florida. I mean, it's not that car- quite that far South, but it's South. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yes, Seagate Prison is presumably somewhere in Georgia. <laughs> um, and so we see, his, we see his past. We see that he didn't want to make friends there, eventually kind of... Well, he was innocent, right? He was set up. Uh, We don't know what for at this point, just that he was set up. But of course, everyone in jail says they're innocent. So no one believes him. According to the show. I've I've never been to jail. So (laughs) Um, we believe we believe he's innocent. And we believe and because he's innocent, he and he feels just utter betrayal. So there's no point to being anybody's friend. Right. But Um, uh, he meets Riva, who's kind of like their group therapy therapist. Yes. Um, and, and, uh, he meets Squabbles? Yes, Squabbles. And we also, if we've watched Jessica Jones, we also already know that he gets with Riva. So we kind of already know that bit, but, um, so clearly he's gonna, he gets affection towards Riva and he becomes friends with Squabbles because, you know, Luke is actually a good person and Squabbles is being a genuine person. But then as Luke predicted, Squabbles is used against him Mm -hmm. to, to put him in like this fight ring they have going on in the jail and it doesn't make any sense at first we find out why later but also uh, this is how he meets shades yes and uh we find that uh, we actually did get some flashbacks very early on that he already knew shades i don't know if we got a flashback but we oh i think we did i think you're right but he definitely said he knew shades yeah um so this is we find out that shades was involved shades was also at seagate and he knew kind of he was in the pocket of the corrupt cops and was helping them run things uh, in Seagate. Um, so yeah, he, uh, a whole bunch of stuff happens. Luke nearly dies. Riva goes to save him, uh, gets somebody involved in an experiment to, to kind of save his life. The corrupt cop tries to mess with it and inadvertently gives Luke superpowers. Yep. So, and then he escapes and totally dons his 1970s retro costume, which... And it's hysterical. I really appreciated. <laughs> his reaction when he comes out of the place and he has just this metal... He has this metal stuff on his, uh, you know, his head and his wrist, and he looks at himself in the mirror, and I can't remember exactly what he says, but he's something like, you look like a fool or something like that. I, just Is that when he puts on the yellow shirt, though? Like, he gets that yellow shirt off the clothesline, and it's like open... It's like totally the costume. Yeah, he that puts is, the yellow shirt on... Then sees his reflection and sees how ridiculous the stuff on his head and his wrist looks and yeah. pulls it off. Yeah. yeah. And then so he meets up with Riva. Also, important, Riva has a flash drive of her information from the uh, 
the, I'm sorry, the prison. And if you're paying attention at home, this is the flash drive that the purple man and Jessica Jones killed her over. Yep. So this is obviously a critical component. And we learn later that the flash drive has all this information on, I'm going to use a word from the flash meta humans that they've been (laughs) testing on. Uh, And so why did the purple man want that information? He's also a meta human. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but it's definitely, we're seeing some strings come together from the different shows. Mm-hmm. We are. And um, so, yeah, things keep, keep uh, picking up. Uh, they find out. So now that we find out Luke is actually invulnerable to missile launchers too, they want to find a way to kill him. Um, yeah. He gets himself and his landlady out safely. Yeah. Just, just so everyone knows. And then, <laughs> uh, so Diamondback, uh, well, excuse me. Shades shows off a weapon. Is it Shades who shows off the weapon that yes. Diamondback has? Shades, Shades brings uh, like a video. video. Yeah. And it shows a guy firing through bulletproof armor and then blowing a person up uh, with mm-hmm. some fancy sci-fi weapons that still don't make sense even you Something to do with maybe. alien metal. So we can only assume that this comes from like New York or Ultron or... You right. Know. You know, it's a really interesting question. Mm-hmm. Could vibranium penetrate Luke Cage? I don't think so because it. From their explanation later, they they talk about how it's uh, an opt. It's the conditions to penetrate his skin have to do specifically with a combination of like of pressure and temperature, and so it happens to be some weird property of this uh, whatever this. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway, it's very weird pseudoscience that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Don't but, think about it too much. Yeah. We've discussed this before where Marvel science is really just magic. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, so they keep going. We we discover, so Diamondback starts to become a more significant role here because he's still he's not now, a person. Right. He, but he's now clearly having more influence because he's now arming with special weaponry. Also, know? all of these weapons are supposedly hammer tech. When did hammer tech get so reliable? I'm just saying. Maybe it had to... <laughs> Uh, maybe in the wake of uh, of Tony Stark pulling Stark Industries out of military weapon stuff. Yeah, maybe, but uh, in Iron Man 2, Hammer Tech is uh, not very good. So the only thing I can think of is maybe Justin Hammer went to jail and somebody else is now in charge of Hammer Industries. Maybe so. Maybe some people uh, left Stark Industries to work for Hammer Industries. Could be. Could be. That would make sense. Maybe we'll find out later. I, I doubt it. <laughs> I do too. Um. Yeah, so we get a whole bunch of stuff. Um, Misty has to start investigating Scarf because, you know, he was... Uh, uh, well, have we figured out... Well, he died. That, when did he die, though? We, I mean, we I know he died, but I don't remember when we... I, I think that happened... So much is happening in these earlier episodes, but I think that already happened. I, I think... Um, uh, Scar- no, nope, no, no, you're right. she's investigating him beforehand, yeah. He... he he dies later when he tries to blackmail Cottonmouth. Oh, basically the chief comes to her, right? Yeah. And says they think Scarf might be dirty. And she's like, <laughs> Scarf, right, right. dirty? You're crazy. Um, which makes total sense, of course, because they've been, you know, friends for such a long time. And they actually do a really good job after Scarf's death. And they find out that he's crooked of kind of Misty talking about the relationship and how he believed in her. And it's like, of course she wouldn't doubt him. You know, 
uh, given their pre-existing relationship. But uh, we also, a whole bunch of things come up too. Like we find out that Misty also grew up going to Pop's place and that's why she actually had huge success and went to college because for basketball and, um, you know, all kinds of just uh, like Pop's clearly had an influence on the entire uh entire area and uh, Misty benefited from it, which is one of the many reasons she is still invested. We actually even find out later that she could totally have gone beyond, you know, the local NYPD if she wanted to, but she wants to serve, you know, this neighborhood. She, this is her home and she knows it and she loves it and she wants to serve it. She's not Uh, ready to give up on Harlem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We do finally get uh, Claire shows up because- Turns out her mom works in Harlem. What are so, the odds? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, she uh, she talks about her exposure to various various crazy people who have powers. Um, I guess all of them are basically crazy. And uh, and yeah, and then Luke, uh, at, at the Pops Memorial, Luke actually... So Cottonmouth gives a speech that people like, and then Luke goes up and embarrasses him. By giving him a better one. Yeah. That basically directly calls him out. Absolutely. And people know it, and Cottonmouth clearly knows it, and that is uh, Misty Knight basically is like, dude, what the hell are you doing? At this point, we we skipped the part. So all of this money is gone. That was uh, Cornell's, right? Cottonmouth's. Uh, He had all of his money and Addis and and Crispus Addicts. Luke Cage went there. He, didn't kill anyone. He just like walked through it and everyone kind of got incapacitated. And the cops do make a note of that. They make a note of the fact that not a single person was killed. Right. He grabs one bag of money because he wants to pay for the continuation of Pop's place. Um, and the rest of it gets confiscated by the cops. Uh, so now basically Cottonmouth is broke and uh, he uh, needs money because Mariah is like on him for money. Right. And uh, he just needs money for his operation in general. So he decides he's going to like shake up the people of Harlem, right? Shake them down for their money and they don't have anything. Um, And everyone that they shake up is going to be told this is Luke Cage's fault. So everyone keeps coming to Luke saying, hey, get me my stuff back. Uh, And there's this one girl, like her father's like uh, ring was stolen. I guess he was a baseball. And I guess they give out rings if you go to the World Series. I'm really not sure. I don't follow sports. (laughs) Um, And she really wants Luke to go get it back. And she's really mad at Cottonmouth. And she's actually going to kill him at the funeral. Mm -hmm. Um, But Luke gets the ring back. He gets all the stuff back. And uh, it's Zip was the one who took the ring, by the way. I hate yeah. that guy. Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, Cottonmouth is trying to play off of this whole, like, hey, you should hate Luke Cage. He is the enemy. He is an outsider, right? He's not Harlem. He's Georgia. Not that they know he's Georgia. But, right. like, let me tell you. Georgia, Harlem, not the same. Savannah, Georgia, and New York City are not by any stretch of the imagination the same place. Yeah. And uh, so he's trying to play on this, like, this guy is an outsider. You shouldn't trust him. And look at all the problems he's caused you by trying to shake up the system. But then Luke gets up there after having gotten this girl this ring, you know, and destroying her gun so that she couldn't shoot Cottonmouth. And he takes that ring up there, I think, to the the podium. Yep. And everyone knows it's stolen. And he's like, I'm not the problem here. 
basically. And I want to continue Pop's legacy. And, you know, Cottonmouth is not Pop's legacy, though he does not say it like that. Cause yeah, I mean, he basically says, look, people getting hurt when people getting hurt is the fault of the people who are actually doing wrong, not the fault of people who are objecting to the system. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing is like, I'm trying to do what pop was trying to do. I am, you know, we need to actually make Harlem worthy of pop more or less. Right. He's basically saying, don't, don't blame the victim, right? Blame yeah. the guy who's actually hurting people. Um, and people, uh, buy it and they, uh, they buy Luke Cage as their hero. Mm-hmm. And that's important because even though the cops are still after Luke and will be for a long time and think he's a bad guy, the people of Harlem are like, what are you talking about? Yeah, uh, which is a really, really significant point later. I've got a particular scene in mind, but we'll, we will get to it. Um, but going, so we have this whole memorial thing. This tension just builds and builds and builds. Um, that's when Scarf attempts to blackmail Cottonmouth and then ends up being... Nearly killed instead, yeah. (laughs) Um, And he goes to Cage, because where else would he go? Yeah, he can't trust... I mean, he can trust Misty, but he can't trust the other cops, right? Right. And uh, I think he's kind of... I think he doesn't want to go to Misty, because I think he doesn't want her to know. Yeah. Um, But he also even just flat out says, like, look, I've got this... I know how many other cops are in his pocket, and, you know, and I have this information. So... Um, yeah, it's really time and time again, people go to Luke because he's the person you can go to get stuff done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, although he's not for hire, (laughs) funnily, funnily (laughs) enough, not Uh, a hero for hire. What? It's pretty great. Cause they bring that over and over. They'd be like, man, you could make money doing this. And he's like, I'm not for hire. Not yet. Not until Danny Rand convinces him on a path of money. I'm sorry. I would really, I really hope that in the series, they just make it a point to just make both of them continually say they're not for hire. Like just, just have that be a line in this, in this universe. It's just what you, what they do in this universe. Um, But uh, so Luke though gets in contact with, I guess Claire talked to him at some point. Oh, just, they, they ran into each other in a restaurant. Right. So like Luke, Luke, her, her mom owns the restaurant. No, so what happened was she had told her mom about Luke. Mm-hmm. And then Luke came into the restaurant with Bobby yeah. Fisher. And her mom called uh, Claire and was like, you need to get down here, but didn't tell her why. And yeah. so it was really funny because Claire shows up and she's like, mom, this is literally what texting is for. Like, <laughs> you don't need me to come down here to tell me something. But then the mom just like points and like Luke Cage is like sitting there. <laughs> um, so that whole thing goes on. Uh, which is how they got back in touch. And then Luke, like, because Scarf is dying, grabs, you know, he gets her to help him. Um, because, of course, you're going to call the note or the, the nurse that you know and who has saved your life already. Although they have not actually met before before this conversation, right? Because well, when they meet in the restaurant. Him. Right. So they haven't mutually met, which was a really fun, interesting conversation. Because she goes, oh, wait, yeah, you actually don't know who I am, do you? Yeah. Uh, I saved your life before. <laughs> Um, after Jessica shot you. Yep. It's fun. It, it's a, it's a really interesting, again, characters come in and out of this show so quickly. So um, we're, we'll get to this more in the other episodes, but I don't like Claire and Luke together. <laughs> okay. Well, detail why? Uh, romantically. 
not, you know, they can work together. I'm fine with that. I think they get along really well as friends. I think I'm with you on the romance. I just felt like, one, it's a little too fast. Um, And, like, two, I mean, I guess as long as they both know it's a rebound. (laughs) Like, because he was just with, though, maybe Jessica was his rebound. I don't know. Luke's not really a healthy person anyone should be in a relationship with at this moment. (laughs) Uh, But it, it just comes off as weird. I, and I can't really put my finger on it. And maybe it's because I secretly ship Matt and Claire. Well, not so secretly. Um, I have thoughts on this as well. Uh, I guess we can get to it later. Cause I, it has to do with several characters development by the end of the show, which, which kind of give me my thoughts, but I, I agree. Know, it almost feels like, Oh, we have a guy and a girl in this episode. They yes. should totally just be together. That's one of the biggest things is it feels like every single major female character has to be a romantic interest. Uh, and I'm mean, cause we have two of them. And I don't like that. Um, but there's Agreed. more. But he, there's also more there. Like, I, I feel like... Every female character in this show is, like, sexualized. Even, mm-hmm. like, Mariah. Yep. Yeah, at the ending, there's a weird part with Mariah at the end. That, yeah, I didn't like it either. Yeah. Uh, okay, so to, to go with, just since we're on this topic, I actually think that it would have made more sense to give Misty and Luke another shot. Be like, hey, look, like, we've gotten through this communication issue. Because clearly they both like liked each other, but also felt betrayed by each other. And it was like, if you had communicated better. And maybe that's also part of why I didn't like it because Luke slept with Misty in the first episode. Like I thought that was going to go somewhere. And then instead Claire shows up and I love Claire. Sure. Why wouldn't you fall in love with Claire? She's awesome. That's valid. I agree. Uh, (laughs) But you know, it, it just felt like a weird choice. Why couldn't Claire and Luke just be friends? exactly it's like look you two these two people who are really attractive can still be friends and respect each other and frankly like misty and luke are i feel like appropriate levels of broken but also figuring things out see but i want misty to be with danny so i have i have feels well so i don't know anything about that um, (laughs) but i feel like in context of what they did with these characters it would actually make more sense for misty and luke to give it another shot like to kind of have cleared up the communication by the end where it's like, look, we clearly have some tension, but here's where, you know, like if only you would trust me or if only you would trust me. And then they like see the eye to eye at the end. You know, maybe they were just trying to contrast Luke with Matt and that Mac, Matt is like Mac, Matt is like a monk, <laughs> right? Like, you know, he's like so slow when it comes to like following up on romantic things, right? And is like, no, I can't, I can't, you know. Uh, and they just wanted Luke to be like, I don't know, a player. Let's get some coffee. Yeah, he's <laughs> just like, it's just sex. It's like I like coffee yeah. of all kinds. Yeah, you know, I, I like my coffee misty, and I like my coffee Claire, <laughs> and I like my coffee Jessica. I am not discriminatory on my coffee. You know, but I, I feel like Claire deserves better than a one night stand. Yeah. And I'm not sure Luke is ready for that. Yeah. I'm, I'm invested in Claire's well-being. Which, uh, and we'll get, we'll get to the end though. At least it's, I feel like it's a good thing that they uh, have sort of forcibly put the brakes on that relationship at the Cops end of this. are coming for you, Michael. I hear it. Yep. That's me. My bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so... I, I kind of, I guess at the end of the season, we'll get to why, but there are some forcible breaks put on the relationship and that might be a good thing. Yeah, I think um, it is. 
So, uh, but I'm with you. I, I feel like I don't like that each time we see Claire, she's like getting with somebody else. Right. Uh, why, each time why, we see her in contact with another guy. Why is she being pushed like to like she had this almost romance with Matt and now she has to have an almost romance with uh, Luke. You know, is she going to have an almost romance with Danny and like collect the whole set of male defenders? Like, yeah, it, it's frustrating, too, because even if they keep this, if they keep them as an as an actual romance, like when things clear up and Luke is back and all that, I would really, it still feels like, okay, so both superpowered dudes that she met, she got with until, you know, she settled with one. And it's like, it would have been nice if we could see her not get involved first before she maybe later found one that she liked. You know, yeah. But. Yeah. I definitely want Claire to happily marry someone because <laughs> that's my, <laughs> she deserves the most happiness. I mean, she's she, absolutely, she deserves a happily ever after. She um, is my favorite thing about this Marvel TV universe. I yes. feel like she's just fantastic. She's just great. Um, but yeah, I, I, it just felt weird. But moving on, I guess. Uh, Scarf is dead, or almost. Uh, and um, they uh, are in a... They're in the, the dentist place at first trying to fix him, right? And he's like in this... Not dentist, I'm sorry. It's They're at the barbershop trying to fix him, and he's like in a barbershop chair. Yeah. Then they, they, uh, they get... They steal... Well, they don't steal. It, they take Claire's mom's van... <laughs> Mm-hmm. which is like a catering van. And it's just like the most, it's simultaneously inconspicuous and conspicuous, right? Cause what's more common in New York than a catering van, you know, yeah. a cab, there's cabs and there's catering vans. Like people got to cater, you know, and you're not going to take your catering on the subway. So it makes complete sense, but they're so easy to track. <laughs> yeah. Once you know what van it is, it's easy to track. But basically they're taking scarf to kind of like, the New York police hub because they don't want to take him to the local precinct because they think the precinct is corrupt, right? Well, they know they know it's corrupt because right. Scarf has said so. But basically, the cops have decided Scarf is one of our own and we're going to bring him in, you know? And so they're like, and partly that's because they're corrupt and partly that's because that's a very cop thing to do. Right. Right. And so they're like cordoning off the whole area. There are all these roadblocks like and it's basically an impossible task because on top of the cops being after them, Cottonmouth is after them. And like at this point, everyone knows what their vehicle looks like. It's like a green catering van. Yeah. Um, Anyways, the whole thing happened. All this stuff goes through. Eventually, Scarf dies on their way on their way. And as such leads to death, you know. Uh, Cottonmouth's uh, lawyer, I guess, basically gets the uh, Scarf's notes thrown out um, because dead people can't submit information or something, which is a theme that they really rely on in this a lot. Which I feel like is weird, but I don't know enough law to say whether that's weird or not. I feel like it would certainly be less strong than having a living uh, person who submitted the information, but, you know. uh, Anyways. I guess it's because you don't... I think the only things that are admissible in court are things that are said in court or things that are like assigned affidavit or that are like on video. Cause otherwise you don't know if they were under duress when they wrote it. Well, I think what it is really is that it's a, it's reasonable doubt. And uh, so, cause they address this at the end with the, uh, with the Candace situation, but it's like, Hey, Candace. all these, huh? I'm just sad about Candace. Oh, Keep yeah. going. 
but they say like all the all these contingent pieces of information make it so that without her uh, or in this case scarf available to actually testify it kind of it puts reasonable doubt on the evidence but they do arrest cornell based on this Sure, and they do uh, later on with the other character that will right. Yeah, but you can arrest someone and then out. let them go because you decide you don't have strong enough a case. Yes. So, uh, and that's what happens here. So, um, anyways, and then the next episode happens. Go for it. Episode seven. Okay, so episode seven is like the Stokes family flashback episode. So it does mm-hmm. for Mariah and Cornell what that previous episode did for Luke. Right? It yeah. explains them. And we basically learn more about their grandmother, who was kind of like this mobster who, uh, well, she was a mobster, who she ran a lot of businesses, but not drugs. Um, she has, like, uh, you know, prostitutes and guns and, you know, mobsters and who knows what else. But she's not she's not bringing drugs in there. And uh, she has her two grandchildren who live with her. I'm not sure it's ever explained where Mariah's mom is. No, I don't think it is. But uh, given lots of other families' situations, it's possible she's just gone. Right. Like, you know. But it sounds like Cornell's mom just didn't want him and just left him on the doorstep. And Mariah basically raised him from the way she talks. Right. Uh, and uh, they, um, so Mariah's older and she's studying to go to school. Uh, m- her grandmother wants her to go to college. Um, but. Uh, Cornell has this gift at music, which we've kind of seen throughout the whole show. He has a keyboard that he's playing uh, and he's playing the keyboard. Um, but uh, Mama Mabel, that's the grandmother's name, is pushing him into the gangster life uh, because it's kind of, you know, that's what men in our family are expected to do. Uh, and then they have this uncle, Pete, who wants to push uh, Cottonmouth into music. But he's also a horrible person who apparently, like, you know, raped Mariah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, which is um, part of why Mama Mabel wanted to send her away. Um, right. And uh, in the end, she learns that Uncle Pete uh, was selling drugs uh, and working with the uh, um, the Mexican mob, basically the, the father of the guy um, that we know. And uh, uh, this is like a betrayal of the family. And uh, Mama Mabel makes Cornell kill pete uh and uh it's like this it's it's really heart-wrenching right to see this kid because he's probably between like 14 and 16 at this point right just like pushed into this violent life um but i i don't know it reads uh i mean he's exactly the kind of kid who if he had someone like pop around might have been able to get out right right Uh, and if his family hadn't been pushing him so forcefully in that direction, right. right? Even with Pop, I'm not sure you could escape uh, basically parents who are, you know. But he wasn't difficult. even given the illusion that there was some out, some way out, you right. know. And uh, and he wanted to. I mean, you could see like he he would have loved to just play piano, go to school, do that. Um, yeah. And it, it even seems like Pete would have liked for him to, as weird as as well, terrible no, as Pete. It makes complete sense. There are a lot of men like Pete in this world. Right. Who can uh, be nice on the outside. And they uh, uh, a lot of it has to do with the misogyny. Right. Right, Girls aren't real people anyway. Boys are. So let's let's push the boys to, you know, get out and do the things they're supposed to do while on the side. We're raping our underage niece. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So and that does extend actually into the present day position where 
the two are arguing and um and Cottonmouth actually accuses uh Mariah of flirting with Pete and encouraging him. So like the worst of victim blaming that you can have. Yes. Because she's an absolutely terrible person, but that still doesn't make his accusations okay, you know? And uh Well at this and- point Mariah's still trying to she's still trying to get out, right? But she had this they were pressed on them from this young age that family first, right? Before right. everything else. So if Cornell comes and asks her for money, of course she's gonna give him money. Yeah. You know? And I and I don't think at this point she's intentionally evil. Right. She's not trying to be bad. She's not doing what's best for Harlem, though she thinks she is. Uh, And uh, she really thinks she's doing what's best for her city. Uh, And then, uh, you know, to have uh, Cornell say that to her, you know, this this horrible thing from her childhood, it just like breaks something in her. I'm going to disagree a little in that I think that she is just flat out evil and whether or not she's trying to, like, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that, I think that in the moment this lets, that sets her off, but I feel like the, all this was inevitable anyways. Like this was just revealing what was already a part of her and what was already going to be. On See, I, I completely disagree. I don't think she was evil any more than I think Cornell was evil when he was 16. Right. Like is 16 year old Cornell Stokes evil. No, no, but he was very much forced into it. No amount of like, she was not like the only thing that made her well, hmm. she could have escaped and she didn't because of family loyalty. Is that evil? No, I guess not. So I, I don't think she's evil. Uh, I think this whole story is the story of her fall. Was she, bad at the beginning sure was she money laundering yeah that's bad like was she criminal yes but was she evil i don't think so hmm i don't know i have to think about that i'm not i really don't know where i fall on that um i mean i really i really felt for mariah like i understand like especially like up until this point or even this point like because we haven't talked about what's about to happen uh you know she really tried to get out. She really, is she a politician? Sure. You know, she's manipulating everything, everything politically for her favor, you know, doing what politicians do. Are politicians evil? Nah, we can argue about that. Uh, uh, you know, um, is she money laundering? Yes. Is she letting her, her, uh, cousin that she basically raised take advantage of her? Yes. Is she doing things for her own power and designs? Sure. But I, I just think like she's not evil on the same level of like, uh, I, I don't know, a Wilson Fisk. And I don't think, Cotton- but there's still plenty where she basically not just where she basically, there are times where she propels uh, Cottonmouth rather than the other way around, though. There are plenty of times, like, it's not like she doesn't know that people are being killed and encourages it, you know? And I would say that's evil. Like, that's not just criminal. Like, that is, she's already on the wrong side, like, already going down that path self-propelled rather than being propelled by someone else. Um, I think I, she purposefully, I don't disagree that she propels him and people are killed, Uh but I, I think she's that kind of person that, at least at this point, pre, you know, episode eight or so, uh, 
just says, get it done. I don't care how it's done. And is in deep denial about how it's done. And I, I think that's the thing. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe she's in denial. I think she knows exactly what it, what is happening is clear. And as long as she can physically keep her hands clean, then she'll, you know, she feels like she's got a way out. Um, I don't even know. And I think that's the thing that really gets it when uh, Cottonmouth talks to her is why he thinks it's such nonsense. And he's totally right. Whenever she talks about cleaning up her business It's like, it's like, she's trying to tell herself that she's, you know, keeping clean, but it's completely a joke. Like it's self-deception that makes her think she's not. Well, I I agree. It's completely self-deception. Like, she is not actively thinking that people have to die for this. She is deceiving herself that she is on the right side of the law. But I, I don't know. Evil is a strong word for Mariah. Well, and I think we're at this we're point. disagreeing on which part. So I don't think she's even bothering to deceive herself that people have to die about it. She's just argue, She's just deceiving herself about whether she's the person who's responsible for it or not. Mm. That, that's kind of where I feel like the the difference there is. But um, either way. <laughs> Something happens. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Something I honestly did not expect. And when this episode ended, I was just like, what? Yeah, it was, it was really sudden. Um, so describe the scene. <laughs> so uh, Cornell, as we said, uh, does the worst kind of victim blaming, says uh, you asked for it. Uh, and, uh, Mariah flips her lid and he like turns away from her and she grabs a bottle and she hits him over the head with it and then like pushes him and, uh, it pushes him out the window mm-hmm. of, uh, he has this like paned window so he can look down over his club from inside his office, but so that he's a little bit separated from the sound so he can have like meetings and stuff in there. So she pushes him through that window and he falls down into his club and he's like really hurt. Cause that's like a, a three foot, three foot drop. I would say um, it, it's a second floor, but it's a little higher than a normal second floor. I think. Um, Cause I think I like the first floor is a little high, but anyway, that's besides the point. Um, he falls. He's pretty detrimentally hurt. You can survive a fall like that. Yeah. Uh, so he's like crawling away, right? And she just comes up to him and she is just like mad with rage and just picks up uh, the uh, mic um, stand and beats him in the face with it, brutally murders him. And like, it, it's so. It's about shocking. as brutal as the first scene when we see the beginning, near the beginning, when Cornell kills that kid whose name we can't think of. Yes. Um, <laughs> Poor kid. We can't even remember your name. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, it's about that brutal, and it kind of shows that, like, look, she is as bad, if not worse. I could not believe, I mean, because this whole show had set up Cottonmouth to be the villain. Yeah. Right? Like, he was the bad guy of this show. Yeah, and- I had imagined that, like, that would be resolved, and then Diamondback would take over for, like, the next round, you know, like, like post this season show. season two, right, right, or Defenders or something, because I was thinking of Diamondback as this big bad guy, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but, like, I was like, what just happened? They just murdered their bad guy mid-show. Yep. Holy, holy moly. <laughs> um, and I think that... Soon afterwards, she basically very clearly becomes worse than he ever was, uh, in my mind. But um, but it takes her some time to get there. Yes, and some manipulation, 
And, yeah, so uh, Shades shows up coincidentally. Coincidentally. Um, coincidentally. I mean, we, we were flat out told later, Shades showed up to kill Cottonmouth himself. Yes. Because uh, it actually kind of made sense at the time to go ahead and kill him because he's kind of Cottonmouth was too obsessed with the Luke Cage business yeah. and had gotten himself in the trouble he was in. And mm-hmm. basically his partners were not having any of it. Yeah. Um, which is very funny if you consider how things actually turn out with said partners. Uh. <sighs> it's very, con- yeah. it's very weird. It's a little bit messy. Yes. Um, so let's, uh, so we continue on. Um, Luke gets shot with, uh, with by a- Stryker, right? Who yeah. is, who we haven't been introduced to up until this point. Um, but do we even know at this point that he is Diamondback? No. No, so he's just, he's shot by... We don't by... know anything about him. We have no idea who this person is. Basically, Luke Cage is shot by this random person at the same time that Cottonmouth is killed. Right. Uh, and he's shot by the special bullet that Cottonmouth's been shown. Uh, shown. Um, yeah. And it keeps going. Yeah, so, so Claire wants to save Luke. Mm-hmm. And um, she uh, uh, gets an ambulance from a friend. No questions asked. Uh, but they are attacked again. Yes. Again. Because basically Stryker, who we don't know is Stryker and we don't know is Diamondback. We literally have no idea who this guy is, is uh, following them, trying to kill them. And um, it's uh, at the same time, uh, Mariah and Shades are uh, covering Mariah's butt about this whole. Right. And murder. they want to blame it on Cage. Yes. And they get Candace, which is important to say. It was Luke who killed, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I just, Cottonmouth. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say feel, Diamondback, and I was like, And even from right. the beginning, I feel really bad for her, because it's like, yeah, she's lying, but you know she's also scared. Yeah, she's um, terrified. Like, it's not the money that is making her lie. It is the fear. Mm-hmm. Um, the money helps, but it's the fear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the money makes it a little bit easier to get to justify the fear, tell, making her do it, but it's the fear, primarily. Yeah. So I feel bad for Candace. Luke is hurt, uh, is having, you know, like, uh, it's really, they eventually get away from Stryker. Um, well, first, remember, they get away from Stryker and they get to that women's clinic, but then Misty right. finds them and then Stryker finds them and then Stryker, like, almost kills Misty. Yeah. And that, like, traumatizes her, which is understandable. Yeah, so nearly kills Misty. Um, they, I mean, they fight for a while, uh, Stryker claims that Cage is his brother, which makes absolutely no sense to anybody involved. Sense to anybody ever. Um, and uh, and then sh- shoots him with a second bullet. Yeah, because one wasn't enough. Yeah, so he's shot by two of these bullets that he can't really be healed for um, because his skin is impenetrable by anything except the bullet. And, uh, yeah, so uh, we find that Misty gets into this whole confrontation with Claire... Uh, because Claire's like, look, Luke is innocent. Stop going after Luke. And Misty gets angry because she's angry for other reasons and, uh, takes it out on Claire and rightfully gets detained and, and. All right. But we're going to have to talk about this later. Cause there's a later scene that parallels this and the police force do not have the same reaction. And that is, uh, troubling to me. Yes. Okay. That's fine with me. Um, so yeah, let's go. Let's and keep basically, going. we're introduced to a new character at this point, which is the. Uh, do they call her the inspector? 
Yes, she's an inspector. Yeah. Uh, and she's basically there, and I think has been for a couple episodes, because Scarf was um, corrupt, so there might be other corrupt cops. So she's come in to kind of, you know, take over the joint, and she's suspicious of Misty, because Misty was Scarf's partner. Um, and so she's the one who basically makes Misty get help, see this psychologist. Um, meanwhile, uh, you know, Luke is just, like, meandering around... Harlem <laughs> going where I'm not quite sure. Um, but he runs into two cops, um, and they start shooting him. And, uh, the, uh, he disarms like the first cop and the second cop starts shooting him, but it's causing like, it puts the first cop in harm's way, which is just like cop one Oh one. Okay. Don't, don't shoot at your partner, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, so Luke, like, uh, he, covers that cop, the cop who's being shot at because Luke's being shot at with his body and then basically like throws the other cop away and it's all caught on a dash cam that goes viral. Yeah. Which again, as soon as you see it go, it's like, yeah, none of this is being shown in context. Like, you know, of course, but that's nor is it really clear. It's Luke, like other than it's a black man in a hoodie and like, there are a lot of super powered people in this world now. (laughs) Yeah. So it could have been anyone. I'm just saying. Yeah, I feel the only thing I wish, uh, I remember at the time I, I wish Luke had done it is like, if he had the second cop, the cop who like shot him a bunch should have been like, you know, I kind of wanted him to say something along the lines of, you know, you're lucky I've got these powers because otherwise you'd have killed an innocent man and then knock him out. But um, because he's, I'm he's just all for- He's not Superman. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> he's not. I just, I really like the idea of making people who've done things that are wrong feel guilty for it, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, but instead when you go and you just throw him, he's like, well, clearly I was right to shoot the guy. Um, anyways. Yeah. So, uh, Luke is trying to meet back up with Claire so, you know, he can get fixed. Uh, meanwhile, Mariah is thinking in her head, right? <sighs> She's like, I inherit all of Cornell's business, but I don't want his shady business. So, right. Shades is like, you should arrange this meeting with all these other crime lords and like, just, you know, divvy up your stuff. Yep. And she's like, that's a great idea. Let's do that. It's a horrible idea. Don't do that. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, so that's going on. Misty gets out of her psychoanalysis and is tasked with finding cage. Um, Claire and Luke are like driving across the country, which apparently it doesn't take that long to get new- from New York to Georgia. Who knew? Well, I think they say something like 20 hours in a car. Like, I, I feel think like, they mentioned something like that. I, I feel like they do say that, but I feel like not enough goes on with the other characters to make it seem like that amount of time has passed, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's apparently really cold, cold in Georgia and uh, possibly snowing. Actually, no, this is where they're going to see the doctor. And I'm not sure the doctor is in Georgia. I'm not sure we know where the doctor is. That's a good point. But they say that they have been in the car for a while. Right. um, But the the whole point is, if this happened once, that might be the only guy who can heal you this time. Yeah, they're they're going to the doctor because he's the guy, right? Yeah. And they have Reva's information. Uh, And uh, Dr. Burstein, like, has, that's the doctor's name has this whole like setup uh, and him and Claire are basically, I don't know, putting him in acid so they can soften his skin. It's really disturbing. Yeah. Uh, it's very painful. 
knocks Luke out and stuff. But they eventually, the short version is they do repair him. Uh, neither of them trust the doctor, rightfully so. Uh, and so they take the information with him, destroy his equipment, and uh, and leave him. And, and, you know, the doctor keeps going on and on about how, like, this is the cure for cancer and so on. But it's like, looks like you're an idiot. And you're not going to do this to anybody There else. is no way that Luke's powers are not tied up with the whole super soldier program and Jessica Jones and what made Jessica. Oh, yeah. Of course. No, There's it's got no to be. It's and possibly be the acid that got in Daredevil's eyes and made him super powered. Right. It's all connected. And also uh, made the Ninja Turtles, but, you know. Yeah. Yes, also made the Ninja Turtles. Uh, so while this is going on, Mariah had arranged this meeting. And she thinks it's going swimmingly, right? You have all these mob bosses there. Right. And then Stryker comes in and just murders them all. Except and they for, recognize him as Diamondback in this case, right? Yes. I like, think is this, this is when he gets said who he is. Right. And Shades knows who he is. And Shades is there. Mariah is there. And the only people who survive are Mariah, Shades, and Domingo. Uh, and he lets Domingo survive basically so that they he can tell people about it. I'm really not sure. Yeah, he, he says something about, like, uh, he doesn't want to deal with the the Mexicans, like, in Mexico. Uh, oh, yeah. And so it's like, yeah. uh, so it's like if, if you're around to tell everybody up and down, then that'll keep people in line. All right. You know? But this starts my problem with the end of the show. Uh, Diamondback is my problem with the end of the show. Diamondback. Yeah. He doesn't make any, like, the coincidence to him being Luke's half-brother, just, no. How do you I, go? I can't buy that at all. From Georgia to New York, like, mob boss. Granted, maybe he got some gun connection. Maybe guns are made in Georgia, and he's like, I have these guns to sell. Where am I going to go? New York. Okay, maybe. But he seems to have, like, an organization. And he's crazy. He, I mean, this guy is the most nuts. Like, it's so funny because so much of what happens that we're – Shades is critical critical of uh, Cottonmouth is because Cottonmouth gets obsessed with Cage. But Diamondback, once he discovers who Cage is, is more obsessed. The only way I can solve this is through headcanons. And that is that Diamondback is a completely normal, rational villain. And then just the thought of Luke Cage sends him into a frenzy. I, I mean, yeah, that seems basically... That is the only reasonable explanation I can have either. Because... Up until now, he hasn't really augmented himself, but it just makes so little sense. The only thing that makes Diamondback believable, which is there's basically nothing. The only thing is that Shades follows him. Right? That's the only reason. Except that Shades is clearly so much more sane than he is. Yes. I don't understand. I mean, that's the only credit he has to, I don't want to say character, because... He has no character. He's a villain, obviously. But, like, his, his sanity, right? The only oh, credit oh, he has saying, yeah. is that Shades follows him. Yeah. So, that's the only... And would Shades really follow a crazy man? But, like, he is insane. Like, he is full comic book villain for these episodes, right? Yeah. Like, there's no logic. He's, like, spouting Bible verses. And- they did not connect the dots for his, like, this weird sanity aspect of it. They did not connect the dots to making it reasonable that he and Luke end up becoming the central characters of this thing. Like, you Every know. Every other I- villain in this makes complete sense, right? Yeah. Like, I believe Cottonmouth is where he is and is as vicious as he is, right? I believe Mariah's meandering path 
to fulfilling her grandmother's destiny, right? I believe Shades, you know, is this ex-con who, you know, like came from Harlem, went back to Harlem, you know. I, I just don't believe You know what else I don't Diamondback. believe? I don't believe that Diamondback would have survived against Domingo in them because at the very beginning, when Domingo completely surrounds him, he's like one against, what, like 20 guys? I, I mean, I, I just watched this episode yesterday, so I remember how ridiculous the scene was. But uh, Diamondback is confronted by Domingo because they decide Domingo and the others are like, the only thing we can do is kill this guy, um, which is they're right, you know, that it was kind of the move that they had. And they go and they corner him and he goes and he surprises them by pulling two guns out and jumps to the side. He's like, no, you would have been shot by four guys right there. There's yeah. no way all of them would have missed you. Right. Uh, and there's then, no way they didn't have watches like you don't think that building was protected. Well, no, no, but even that, inside the building, we saw multiple people with their guns right. trained on him. He would not right. have been able to jump to the side and pull his guns out without getting... He's he's not superhuman. It's it's so comic book Even with his power... Even with his... You know, he has a power suit that he eventually... And we're jumping around now, but but we're passionate about this. Uh, we're when, passionate when about he, how Diamondback ruins this show. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, he doesn't ruin it because the show's still great. But he is a detriment. He's a, he's a drag on it. I, he's like Going into episode 11, right... Before yeah. we really know much about Stryker or 10, whichever one he kills all those people in. If you had asked me which show was the best Marvel Netflix show, oh, no I would have said this it. one. And and Diamondback is what knocks it down. Right. On, uh, from that. Yeah, I, I totally Diamondback agree. is what lets Jessica Jones and Daredevil season one be better than this. I, I agree completely. So, but going to this, like, his fighting with Luke doesn't make any sense either. Because it's like, okay, cool. You've got this neat vest that uses sci-fi stuff to, you know decrease kinetic impacts and whatnot. And you have these special punches that can do the opposite or these arm things, but, but he's doing things that neither of those make, make any sense. Like, you know, if let's say Luke throws the dude across, you know, across a room and into a thing, it's like your internal organs still have to catch up to the rest of your body. Right. You know, like I don't, it's, it's just not, I mean, I have a similar problem with the Iron Man suit. Yeah. Right. That Iron Man gets thrown around a lot in his suit and we act like the suit can protect him from falling, you know, or hitting a wall when it can't. It can't. Um, so I'm willing to wave that as like Marvel. But then there are other things. He does things other than stupid. punching him that look like super strength. Like, he, you know, the punches make sense, but then he'll do other things. Like there's one point where as far as I can tell, he kicks Luke super powerfully. And as far as I can tell, he doesn't have anything in his suit that makes him... Let's him do like it doesn't even look like it's a I suit. It looks like it's a jacket and arm straps, To kill right? Luke Cage, and I was strong enough that I actually thought I could do it. I would try to break his neck. Yeah, I, not I that know. I'm going to kill Luke Cage. I'm <laughs> not a supervillain. But but the whole thing, like the, the fight, there. Even just watching the fight, because I started looking, I was watching for it. I was like, there are too many aspects of the fight, little moves here and there. There's like, what you've shown us his suit can do doesn't translate to that. That is and also that, the really slowest fight in the world. Like, yeah. I got bored watching it. And it was supposed to be because they were interjecting this, like, this argument, right? But I don't think they did a good job of it. No. I, I don't, so... I also I, just no, I th- didn't buy Stryker as a big bad. And it was almost a relief to me that Shades and Mariah were doing all of their stuff, right? Yeah, I agree. Because without that, this would have been a huge letdown, right? I, I mean, you go and you watch it, and it's almost like... Shades is watching him and he's like, what the hell is going on with this guy? Like, if I were Shades, 
I would be just completely baffled by Diamondback. And this is like, what, what are you doing? I'm completely baffled by Diamondback. Okay, this is a man who, let me look up the actor's age, but it's probably 40 plus. Uh, let, 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 Eric LaRay. Eric LaRay Harvey. Uh, oh, his, uh, it doesn't say when he was born. Why would you do that? <laughs> I'm going to have to Google him. I'm sorry. But I go off the actor's age to get a rough estimate of how old we're supposed to think the character is. Right. Um, sometimes that's useful. But... Sometimes it's useful. Sometimes well, it's not. Well, he's supposed to be as old as Luke is, right? Two years older than Luke. Is yeah, he's, he's, he's like they describe that when they're talking about their All right, like, so when he tells I his life story. Up how uh, Mike Coltrane is because basically I'm gonna go with this guy is 40, right? And uh, he, okay, so Mike Coulter is 40, so that would make this guy like 42, 42 years, and he has not gotten over his childhood trauma. Who is he, Batman? Like, what is it with people and you know, not talking out their problems and it also isn't viable when you look at their uh, their childhood interactions. They were when best goes, friends. Like, they were best friends. And he genuinely looked seemed like a decent guy who had some anger issues when he was like, he's like, Luke, don't do it. You can't win. Like, Why when wouldn't when he he's want to kill box. his father, right? If you're going to yeah. kill someone, kill the father. The, the transference of that anger makes no sense at all. And it's really weird how much, like... Luke seems to be initially confused by it, but not as confused as he should be either. It'd be like, what? There should have been a moment in this where it's like, so what happened that you got so angry? And then maybe, I mean, heck, throw in some weird comic book incident that makes him go crazy. I mean, they say he was in juvie and then he killed a guy in juvie, right? And he went to adult jail. And I completely give that that would make you bad, right? That you would go Why take it out on Luke when you grew up with Luke? Like, I that doesn't make that. any sense. The transference of that anger makes no sense. Unless something happened in the jail that, like, the only thing he could do is focus on Luke. But I, I, you're right. I just can't understand why well, he would focus on Luke as opposed to the father. And the thing is, we should have gotten some scene like that. Like, honestly, do, like, some weird comic book, you know, bad guy origin story where he, like, falls into a vat or, like, somebody does tests on, uh, you know, some experiment on him that makes his emotions go, uh, like... Or just the some therapist, like like an evil Riva. Not that Riva was necessarily pure, but, you know, who's just like, and whose fault is this? You know, just like making them focus on, you know, the wrong mm-hmm. thing, right? But instead, we just have this guy who, if he was really this focused on, like, killing Luke, I guess I can only assume he actually thought Luke died in the Seagate incident, right? But um, even that, he's the one who framed Luke in the first place. Right. To send him to Seagate. Right, so, so he, he was, was already. Then. And it doesn't make any sense because... Angry because daddy got Luke out and not him. Why would my anger be at Luke and not daddy? Like, when you're 20, sure, I give that you can be mad at the wrong person, right? That happens. But you've had, like, 20 years to think about this. Yeah. It's really... Unless he's already killed daddy and Luke is the loose end. It still doesn't make any sense. But they don't say that. And so, basically, all of this ending... Striker Luke fight is stupid and pointless, and I hate it. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, and and said, why does Diamondback try to have Shades killed? Oh, um, because of the whole Icarus thing, right? Like he, <laughs> he, you know, it doesn't make any sense. But clearly, Diamondback doesn't make sense. It's so. part of his mindless babbling, right? That's like, you know. let me pull these Bible verses completely out of context. 
like with no respect to like context at all for someone who was raised by a preacher son, you know, and like random Greek mythology to just seem even crazier. And it it just seemed like weird shorthand for being crazy that he's spouting, you know, Bible verses and, uh, uh, Greek mythology. Mm hmm. And, uh, you know, Shades was too competent and questioned my sanity because I have gone insane. So now I have to kill him. Yeah. Uh, it, so it goes in and it, I don't I don't want to blame the actor at all. I really just no, think the part no. was terrible. It was the role. Yeah. Um, because in general, and I, we haven't really talked about this, I think the actors and actresses across the board, for the most part, did a pretty good job. Um, the only exception to me, and I don't think it's really an exception. I think it's part of the way she was written. But uh, Alfred Witter- Woodard, the... Uh, actress who played Mariah Dillard. This is a really weird thing. And it was especially pronounced at the end, but I don't know if it was intentional or not, but pretty much at all times she came across drunk to me. Oh, I like whether she was drinking or not. Huh? I don't think so. I, I mean, cause I remember noticing it like halfway through and I was like, she just never feels sober to me. And I think a part of it was just the way that she, maybe it was an intentional thing. I don't know, but I, she didn't, I could never buy that anyone could not take her as just this terrible human being, like in any context at all. Anytime she was speaking, even when she was acting. She's pulling them into her delusion, right? That she wants to get out, that she doesn't want this. I I never thought of her as drunk. So I I don't know where you got that from. I don't know. I found her very believable. Okay. Well, I mean, and maybe it is just me, but for whatever reason, she came across that way the entire time, whereas everybody else was more or less convincing to me. Um, yeah. I did want to uh, punch even, Zip in the face for the entire, like, show, but that's not to do with acting. Oh, yeah. And it was basically <laughs> the role that Tone before him and he, yes. like, Tone and Zip were both uh, meant to just make them. you annoyed with them the entire time. <laughs> but not because of the actor. <laughs> yeah. they, they basically, both of them basically just make things worse for everybody. Yes. And I think that's on purpose. So. Yes. It fails <laughs> to kill shades, right? Um, so yeah, a couple of things going on here, right? Is basically you have this whole storyline where Stryker goes crazy and is like super focused on Luke for several episodes. Yeah. And shades multiple times being like, Hey, like we should get out. And he's like, no, we're not going to get out. We're going to do this. It's yeah, there's all and kinds of things. There's where like it's a like- bomb at one point. I, I don't know. It's confusing. <laughs> like, uh, Diamondback has like a bomb and uh, tries to like blow everybody up. I don't know why he thinks that would kill Luke. Um, but uh, during this, basically, Shades is slowly pulling away from Diamondback and putting his lot with Mariah uh, and manipulating her, kind of, you know, kind of just like pulling out that darkness in her, right? D- to admit the darkness in her, um, to take on Cottonmouth's, you know, dynasty. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, meanwhile, Misty, uh, has Candace because Candace finally is like, I have to, you know, I have to come forth about what I said about Luke, um, and, uh, say it was wrong and that Mariah killed, um, uh, Cottonmouth. But, uh, basically, Shades, uh, steals Missy's phone at one point and convinces Candace to come out and then shoots Candace. Um, and at the end, it kind of seems like there's no hope to clear Luke's name. Uh, and, uh, even though shades had this, like, um, 
file with all of the, his information that would have uh, cleared his name and his old name, Carl Lucas. Uh, and Mariah and Shades and Luke were going to work together for a little bit to take down Diamondback, but then Diamondback just attacks. Um, and Mariah and Shades leave. Um, but uh, yeah, in the end, there's uh, basically uh, Luke gets picked up by like federal marshals to take him back to Georgia um, because technically he's an escaped felon. Yeah. Um, Mariah takes over um, the club Harlem's paradise, but with the implication that she and shades would be equal. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, Misty. Oh, okay. So I have to talk about Misty's arm getting shot because we, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we skipped the hostage situation, but that's just all part of the crazy, uh, it's a whole bunch of, hey, Diamondback could have not been crazy and things would have been fine for them. Uh, the whole thing was just Diamondback being really weirdly crazy. All right. So Misty gets shot in the arm and it hits an artery. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like bleeding to death. Claire saves her by tying off the artery. I really thought this was going to result in her losing the arm. Because when you canon. don't have blood from your artery going to the rest of your arm. Well, so Claire says that. Claire actually says like, hey... The longer this is left this way, the uh, the more likely it is you'll lose the arm. Like, she says that. But it doesn't and seem, by the end of the season, it seems like she has but full cap- capability back in her arm. Yeah, yeah, because she doesn't say you will lose the arm. She's like, the longer it's left this way. But the reason she's is like, I don't, you're going to bleed out. So she's stopping her from bleeding out temporarily, but she needs to get real medical attention as soon as possible so they can properly repair. I think she like, should have lost her arm. I, I'm just saying, to me, that seemed pretty, like... I actually, because I initially had the same same thought, but then she just said it. It's like, okay, I buy it. Like, as far as this goes, I think it would have been fine either way if they had made her lose the arm um, or not. And I think it was kind of a nod towards the fact that I believe Misty does lose her arm in the yeah, comics. Yeah, but I don't know why you would do that if you're not going to lose the arm. I want Misty I, Knight I, to have a robot arm. I think it was just a nod to the comics to be like, oh, yeah, you thought we were going to do that, but we're not. Um, I didn't so. like it. <laughs> Uh, but I, that and I, I found mean, it unbelievable. I felt like too much time had passed to save the arm. But that's me. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm just an engineer. <laughs> I and it really wasn't that long I, in the end. Like by the time she did that, I mean, you know, if it's if the episode was going in real time, you're talking like 20, 30 minutes before the medics are right there. Um, so yeah, but she doesn't even go to the hospital. She just goes to the ambulance. That's true. Yeah, I I don't know. Okay, well, whatever. Comic book show. Um, <laughs> Uh, in this though, so yeah, we have the whole, that whole thing. Luke gets picked up, uh, the scene earlier that, or when we were talking earlier about the belief, I guess, um, well, I guess you and I were talking about this before, so not during the the thing, but Scarf is crooked. And we were talking about the fact that he, you didn't believe his, the fact that he was crooked or his motivations. And I don't, I mean, I don't either, but I think one of the things that pays off a little bit is Luke's conversation in... Uh, when he's basically answering Misty and other cops are listening. Do you remember that scene towards the end of the uh, end of the last episode? Cause uh, a whole bunch of people are listening in and Luke basically goes on this monologue and he said, and you know, she asks, she like, he says, look, I had these powers. I had to help, you know, pop knew about my powers and told me, and I, I had to help. I had to give back. And she's like, but that wasn't your job. He's like, look, sometimes, the system doesn't work and somebody needs to stand up for uh, somebody without a badge who doesn't need a warrant needs to step in and do things. And I don't know that 
you know, what the best way is to do it, but I know that I have to do something. And, you know, people need to believe that, uh, that they don't have to, you know, to take the buy off and to take the path of least resistance. And I think that's, uh, where he kind of addresses what a whole bunch of different characters are motivated by in that one speech. And you see a whole bunch of police officers listening to him and kind of nodding. And I think that that was the, with the thing with scarf is that it's not how he became bad, but that taking the bribe was the path of loose resist of least resistance, you know? And it's like, look, it's not that everybody who does these things are bad. It's that this place can be so messed up and without people having examples to show them a better way, they'll inevitably end up doing, doing these things that are wrong because they feel like they have to. And I think that that was a thing where it's like, it it is almost a callback to say like, look, scarf was produced by the circumstances and because there wasn't anybody standing up and I needed to be that person. Um, And so that's, that kind of made me feel better about the scarf situation when I did that. Cause he had more, uh, an entire speech around that covered so many different people, including scarf. So um, I really enjoyed that, that speech from him and that last episode. It was a good Um, speech. I really liked it. I I also really liked how often Claire said, I have a lawyer friend I can call. Yes. And that was the, especially at the end and Luke is finally like, okay, you know um, I, that's fine. Cause beforehand when they, they offered to speak, he's like, Luke's like, look, I don't have anything to defend myself. I don't need a lawyer right now. And then when he's taken off by the marshals, he's like, okay, yeah, get your lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty great because that sets us up for the future. Dun, dun, dun. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Can we talk about Mariah and Shades? Yes, we can. I bought everything except the kiss. Yeah. Like, I, well, that was unnecessary. I agree. Completely unnecessary. Made me super uncomfortable. I, I want to like Shades. But if he's going to go along with this just because he puts him in a more of a position of power, that like immediately makes me like him less Yeah, as a character. I, and, and not like him less as a, I mean, I'm not supposed, he's a bad guy, right? But I mean, it, it makes me like him as a character less. It just doesn't feel right for everything else we've it seen. It just didn't feel right. Like he was totally manipulating her, you know, I maybe he really thinks she's attractive. Fine. That's possible. Like, whatever. She's uh, handsome woman uh but uh it just felt weird um i i feel like mariah is smarter than that too like maybe she's just been so emotionally like i don't know all over the place from these events but i feel like she's smart enough to realize that you know this guy you know is suddenly hitting on you and i I don't know it just felt weird Uh, maybe and so some of it is, and Shades is aware of this more than she is, I think, but she has this weird blend of strength and weakness going on right now. Yes. Um, that like vulnerability, but also this rise to power. And she's trying to figure that out. And he's been helping her in that. And so maybe I can't tell if it's her vulnerability that made her go for it, or if it's the opposite, if it's her desire to leverage, to show her, her strength. feeling powerful. Yeah. Right. I like think- I, I can't tell which of those two is dominant there. Yeah. Um, And maybe that's part of what makes it weird. Like, yeah, it's unclear whether this is, you know, shades taking advantage of her and weakness or her being like, yeah, I'm powerful and I can have this man if I want to. I'm willing to give the writers credit where I'm not willing to give them credit on 
pretty much anything involving Diamondback. I'm willing to give them the credit here where maybe that that discomfort that we're feeling is entirely intentional. And that's possible. Because, I mean, I feel like with Shades and Mariah, they've earned it. The writers, the, the benefit right. of the doubt. With Diamondback, I almost feel like, did someone walk in and say, hey, you need to throw Diamondback in here at some point? You yeah, know? I, like, that's really what that feels like. Um, I, it's it was, such a bummer because the show is so great on so many counts. Um, yeah. One of my favorite things about this entire show, and I, I actually, it's the only thing I have written notes on, <laughs> because it was just so profound to me, is when people finally, like when Misty finally starts standing up for Luke in the NYPD, you know, when Luke is on the run, and uh, the inspector asks, like, well, why is he running if, you know, you know that he's, that he's innocent? He's like, look, he's a black man in a hoodie, <laughs> like, with the police after him. Of course he's going to run. You know, uh, and and then you go and you start having people in town, like uh, Method Man. He meets Method Man, the the rapper, and uh, who who is an actual famous rapper. Yeah, I didn't know <laughs> and, that. I, I spent the first like couple of minutes being like, is he must be an actual famous person, or is he in universe <laughs> famous? I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, he, so he's <laughs> a he's a real famous rapper, and uh, so uh, that interaction between the the two made total sense. Like Method Man, like it's you, and Luke's like, no, it's you because. Totally somebody that Luke would know. Um, he would have grown up listening to, or not grown up, but he would have been, you know, listening to him for a while. And uh, and so having them do that scene where then, then they start selling hoodies in solidarity of yeah. Luke. It's a very a good, I am Spartacus moment. Yeah, and, and it's especially profound in kind of the modern era, you know, where we've had numerous black men shot by police. And it's like people being like, ha, you were going to shoot me just because of my profile, you know, or you were going to, and like, we're kind of, we are all showing solidarity for this guy who we don't believe is, you know, has done these things. Like we believe he's standing up for all of us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I think it was, it was really, really, really poignant because the hoodies have the bullet holes. I was like, look, this is a guy who has already been shot, who we believe is innocent, you know? And the only reason he's able to continue to make the stand is because he's bulletproof. And that's a stand that none of the rest of us could make until he allowed us to. Uh, and I think that's really, really it's just so poignant, and I, I mean, it evoked emotions in me that the rest of the series just... I I feel like almost like that... If the entire point of the series was that, it was worthwhile, you know? Yeah, and, um, and I, I agree. You know, there's that fallacy that you see in the real world and in the show of, if you're innocent, why did you run? You know? Mm-hmm. And it completely underestimates the fact that people are scared. Yeah. You know, Luke, not necessarily. Luke's trying to escape so he can take down bigger bad guys. But, you know, I, I, I get terrified if I get pulled over for a traffic ticket, you know, not, not because I'm necessarily scared of cops, but I just have like, I don't know, that kind of nervous, like, you know, authority figure, you get called to the principal's office and suddenly I'm sweating bullets and I didn't even do anything. You yeah. Know? The, the number of times, and I've never had any negative confrontation with the police officers. I only, I have only in my life had positive ones. And yet, every single time I'm walking out of a store, and that there happens to be like a police officer near the front entrance with the like beeper thingies, I get nervous. I'm like, "What if something stuck to me and beeps? Right. Like, will I get the benefit of the doubt? Like, I, I've not even done anything wrong, and I get scared. And and it's and that's been true since I was a kid, since I was like five. And I've never, you know, no one had ever told me anything other than trust police officers. But you know, back then, like, I'm not a black man. I was not. Like, I did not grow up with the same 
perfectly legitimate reasons to be like, hey, be careful around police officers. You know, like I, I never grew up with that. And I still feel that way because it's like, well, this person is in a position of authority than me. And if they decide to leverage that authority in a way that is not fair, I can't do anything about it. You know, um, and it's also very interesting, too, because Misty uses that logic with Luke multiple times. He's like, look, you got to work with the system outside of it. And then it's turned on her. Yeah. Um, towards the end. And the inspector argues with her. It's like, you know, we we haven't quite discussed it, but Candace has evidence that would tie the murder to uh, Mariah, who did kill Cottonmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Candace is killed because um, because uh, what's his name? Um, Shades gets uh, Misty's phone. Uh, yeah, Misty's phone. Which, if you're a police officer, you you. If you're a detective, you sure as heck are going to have a password on your phone. Like, also, that is ridiculous. why wouldn't Candace be under a different name? Yeah, that, that's well, true. Let me put like, Candace, very important witness. Like, no, you're going to be yeah. like Susie from down the street. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, but related to this topic, you know, there's that whole issue with the kid that the cops pull in. The kid Luke Cage yeah. saved, and the cops pull him in to question him about Luke. And this kid has nothing but glowing things to say about Luke because Luke saved his yeah. life. And he doesn't say, like, you guys are bad. He says, Luke wouldn't kill a cop. Like, that's what right. he says. And it, it, this yeah. kid's mom is either a lawyer or studying to be a lawyer. I, I think She's she about is, to be a lawyer. She's yeah. really close to She's studying for the bar, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I, so this kid comes like you can see it in him. He's not afraid of the cops because he knows his rights, right? Yeah. But then the cops beat him anyway, and that was just so jarring to me after the cop after the inspector gave Misty such a hard time for barely roughing up Claire, and yeah. this cop beats the crap out of this kid. Now that said, the inspector does go, "What the hell are you doing?" Like she does. She but gets was no one angry. watching? Like this guy had a minor. In a room, you know, or were the only people doing it were the same cops who have that same, like, you know, yeah. bro mentality. And is part of it that the inspector and Missy are slightly out of the bro mentality because they're not bros? Maybe. But also then even after that, when Candace does die, the inspector chews Misty out for it. Yes, if and you, like, if you had gone system. in the city, it's like, except that all these other things happened in the city and were broken, like, in the system and broken. Like, there are so many things that if they had gone through the system that we wouldn't have gotten the, like, the the truth. If, if Luke had come through in the first place, no, this, like, you would not have gotten things where we knew what was what. And it's like, no, your, your argument is invalid. Your, your, your department, your police department was messed up and would not have resolved these things correctly. And so you don't really have that position to stand. Like, Misty can feel bad about it because her actions led to Candace's death, except the only action that really did it was her losing her phone and not having it password protected. <laughs> I mean, because if she hadn't done that, then the best possible circumstance would have been what happened. Yeah. Um, versus bringing her into the police uh, the police station where she would have been at risk. Um, it, it's just, you know, Misty was right not to trust the inspector because... She couldn't trust people in the police force. Yeah, you know? and, the and Luke was right. Not just to came trust off as untrustworthy in general, even though in the end she is trustworthy, right? But right. she just comes off as someone because she's not trying to build trust. Yes, you know, and and that's important. And I, it's it's her argument co- falls completely flat because, like, no, the one thing that we learned was that Luke was n- like Luke was right not to trust the police, even Misty, because she wouldn't have done the right thing. Misty the wouldn't have listened to Luke. Misty would have arrested right. him. 
exactly. And it's like, no, no, no. That it, it's it really drills home the point that in this case, you absolutely do need somebody to set the example for the police. And Luke was the person. Yeah, you know, and uh, hopefully they will kind of leverage that more moving forward because they again, it's not saying that police can't be good. Like clearly, Misty is good, and the inspector is, and they will hopefully work together to clean things up. But. And, you know, we have the older cop who lets Luke go. He's like, and, hey, and even, some of us I mean, believe in you. But the horrible thing is, like, you have cops like Scarf who are corrupt. And then you have that cop who beat that kid. He's not necessarily corrupt. No, he's not. He's, he's just, a good, like, a bad cop. Right? Like, Yeah, like, bad, bad like, at the job. Bad not at bad, his job. Right. Not like, bad corrupt. Yeah, yeah. like... Uh, who thinks that ends justify the means and because he's a cop, he gets to be a bully, right? And it, it's just, it's, and it's how do you trust a, either of those, you know, how can Missy trust anyone on that system? And there's a larger thread too, where of course, it's, you know, the way that that particular cop in the interrogation room, several other things that cops say um, in this and people at large that we know of, uh, you know, in, in real life, in terms of all kinds of things, when people just talk about other people as you assume guilt, it's like you decide someone's guilty and you act accordingly instead of trying to actually figure out the truth. Like when they go and they, they start uh, beating on random kids in the street to try and find Luke Cage. It's like you guys are already acting as if you know he did, the, you, you know, know which, he killed this cop. This show is so important right now, right? Yeah. For, for real life events. And that's just part of what makes me even more sad that it went off the rails with this Diamondback stuff, because like all of the stuff it's talking about with Luke and the cops and the situation, it's just important. And, and you I know, agree. A, it opens a discussion that's a safer means of discussing it, right? When you're talking about a fictional universe than when you're talking about real, right? Right. Because so then you, you can talk like, what should these cops have actually done? And what right. they should have actually done is not decide he's guilty, like, you know, promise to keep him safe. If he keeps running, fine, but like, but also keep up options looking for alternate suspects, you know? Show, like, show good faith that, hey, we want, what we're actually after is whoever really did this, not Luke at all costs, and we've already decided he's done it, you know? Um, because that's. Because, like you said, yeah, it do, it really does reflect the real real world conversation where we decide someone's guilty and act accordingly, rather than ugh. innocent until yeah. proven guilty. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> so we don't this have a lot of a time problem. left, uh, and there's one more thing I wanted to talk about that's kind of about this show, but kind of about Jessica Jones. So, was there anything more specifically about Luke Cage you wanted to talk about? No, I I think I'm. Luke caged out. <laughs> so the only other thing I wanted to mention was Jessica Jones was not in this show. Right. And that was clearly done purposefully, but, and I really like this show, but it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, not because of Jessica and not because I'm super invested in her and Luke's relationship, though I do ship it, but uh, it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the fact that it felt like Jessica Jones was our first female centered show but she wasn't strong enough to stand on her own so they had to put a male superhero in there with her but a male mm. superhero is strong enough to stand on his own like it really feels that way to me and like i was talking about this at the comic book store with uh my comic book dealer <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh i uh he he felt that way too so i wasn't crazy um though i, mean, I have to confess i didn't think about it but i now that you said it i totally see it um, like it really, and, I was yeah. just like, 
you know, and at first when I thought Jessica was going to be in Luke's show, I was still kind of sketchy about it because I was like, oh, we're saying that a white woman and or a black man are not strong enough to stand on their own. So we have to like double book them. So at least they're saying that Luke is strong enough to stand on his own. But it still comes across as Jessica was not strong enough to stand on her own. Not, not physically as a character, but, you know, like. Yeah, because she's female, we have to add this other male superhero in there to bring people in, and I—that's probably not what their intention was, but that's the way it came across. Uh, on the flip side, one of the positive things this did is there were several significant female characters who were significant on their own, right? And, and the cast was mostly uh, people of color, which yeah was really well done and really appreciated. Um, but yeah, no, I hadn't even thought about the about that, and I agree. Hopefully, they'll do something to remedy that with uh, Jessica's representation moving moving forward. Like, do something to kind of make sure she gets adequate spotlight um, and isn't overshadowed by you know her male peers. Yeah, <sighs> I don't know. That's a an interesting thing to. I I, I really don't have any ideas on how they could do it i don't know and how I totally... you can fix that i i think i think you can't i think it's been done i mean i think jessica stands on her own but i i think it was a lack of faith of the producers yeah um and i i i don't think it detracts from jessica's character but it makes me feel like the producers did not have faith in jessica's character yeah um so final little tidbit at the very end of the show though is um what's his uh bobby fish finds the folder that proves Luke's innocence mm-hmm. in the barbershop. Yeah. So, so that leaves hope to Luke being cleared by uh daredevil. And maybe, you know, that'll be how they open defenders or whatever is, you know, yeah. Luke's final trial and daredevil. And they also, add, they also left open like, well, we don't know what the barbershop's going to be. Yeah. So is it gonna still be a barbershop. Is it going to be, I think they said it doesn't want to be a barbershop. So I think they've decided it doesn't want to. Could it be? It could be. Uh, I mean, maybe they'll open a like a private eye shop. <laughs> you race for hire. Yeah, I, I was gonna <laughs> say like may, maybe you have a uh, you know you ha- basically have uh, Jessica and Luke offer it. <laughs> I, I don't think we actually said this for those who don't know. The heroes for hire are who uh, Luke and uh, Danny were in the comics and Misty. Danny Rand being uh, Iron Fist. Yes. And Misty Knight and um, another character named Colleen. Uh, they were the heroes for hire. So they could totally do a heroes for hire thing where, I mean, because as it is now, Matt doesn't have a partner, right? So you, you know, could, they, they are like a full service heroes for hire. Yeah, okay? exactly. You, you have, have a your lawyer. lawyer, you have your private eye and you have people who are like a living weapon and the man <laughs> who can't be killed. Look, I really, yeah. I'm really here for the bro TP of uh, Luke Cage and Danny Rand. So um, they are the best bros, and I want. I mean, I'm to just saying, that. like Matt needs an office, you know. Yeah, you know. And uh, y- how many times has Jessica's window be broken through? You know, she- exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah, that that would be great. But um, so let's say Luke gets back. You know, he gets. Uh, uh, what's the what's the word for when um, when evidence should? Oh, yeah, well, the, your records are expunged, but you are exonerated. There you go. So he gets uh, so Luke gets exonerated. Hopefully, I mean, not hopefully. Of course, he's going to. Otherwise, it's not like he's going to break out of pre- uh, prison. But he comes back, and uh, and then so do he and Claire stay together, or does he get back with Jessica? I don't know. 
I don't know, man. I don't know. We will see how future relationships ship. Uh, But on that note, I guess (laughs) we don't really have much else to say. So, uh, yeah, if you enjoyed listening to this, uh, please listen to us some more. Um, You can find the podcast on Twitter at TrivCrucial. You can find the website at TrivialLyCrucial.com. Mandy, you are brown underscore Aja on Twitter, which I now actually understand because I'm working on the Wheel of Time. And, uh, and I am Auhim on Twitter. That's A-U-H-I-M. Uh, anything else, Mandy? I got nothing.